reminiscence that had nothing to do with Kitty Hawk. In the barracks at Langley Field that night, I was inspired to compose a few banal observations of my own. Poor Orville, I wrote my wife. Little did he know what a complex gadget he was giving birth to. It takes two to make a brother, however, and the most remarkable thing about that comment was the omission of Wilbur's name. Six years passed. The Wright brothers did not cross my mind again in any significant way until 1950, when, after several post-war jobs in the Library of Congress, I found myself in the moribund aeronautics division, assembling aviation periodicals and annual reports of airlines for the bindery. I had heard, without giving it much thought, that the Wright brothers' papers had been deposited in the library, and that there was talk of their being edited in the aeronautics division to satisfy the terms of the bequest, which stipulated that the most important of the papers be published in a form that would give the brothers full credit for their scientific approach to the problem of flight, whether or not, in the words of the executors of Orville's estate, it appealed to general readers. It occurred to me while vacationing on the shores of Lake Michigan that summer that it might be a good idea to dispel a little of my ignorance concerning those two bicycle mechanics who were supposed to have invented the airplane. The only book on the rights in the Three Oaks, Michigan Library was John R. McMahon's 20-year-old The Wright Brothers, Fathers of Flight. Fortunately, I was not aware at the time how thoroughly Orville had detested that book, for I consumed it on the beach in four or five big gulps and thought it quite a story. The following year, the three-man aeronautics division in the Library of Congress was augmented with a two-woman typing and secretarial team, and work on the papers of the Wright brothers began in earnest under the editorship of the late Marvin W. McFarland. Arthur G. Renstrom, assistant chief of the division, handled the complex bibliographical details of the work. As the division's junior member, I was given a free hand with the Wright's wind tunnel and propeller data and their other technical materials. On December 17, 1953, 50th anniversary of the world's first airplane flights, the papers of Wilbur and Orville Wright was welcomed into the world with appropriate fanfare, including a picture story in Life magazine. That the Library of Congress Aeronautics Division died in giving birth to those two fat volumes, enriched with more than 250 illustrations and any number of tables and footnotes in small type, was no tragedy. What was really tragic was that $25 was considered an outrageously high price for any publication in 1953, and the two volumes went the way of other unsold books and ended up on the remainder counters. A reprint edition in 1971 at almost twice the price of the original did little to increase their circulation. It struck me as truly regrettable that the story of the invention of the airplane, told largely in the words of its creators, should have sunk from sight so quickly. And when I left the library a few years later, I promised myself that some day, if I lived that long, I would tell the story over again, in a way that would appeal to general readers as well as to the specialists who had been denied access to the two-volume papers. There were several drawbacks to such an endeavor. Five, in fact. Three biographies of the Wright brothers had already been published, and by the time I got around to redeeming my pledge, two more had appeared. With five biographies of the Wright brothers on library shelves, there had better be a good reason for a sixth. There are two good reasons. First, what the Wright brothers did was not accomplished in a vacuum, 
and their story is incomplete without accounts of the efforts of other men who tried to solve the problem of flight. Not only the honorable men, Chanute, Langley, Bell, et al., but also the sometimes self-deluded experimenters, mountebanks, and outright fakers and liars, whose fraudulent claims have resulted in the survival into the present decade of belief in such mythical exploits as the lost flights of Gustav Whitehead and that very elastic 100-foot glide made by John Montgomery of California in 1883, or was it 1884? While the author admits to a perverse pleasure in the pricking of other men's bubbles, there is no denying that the feats, real or imagined, of those early experimenters not only add a certain piquancy to the story, but furnish a backdrop against which the accomplishments of the Wright brothers stand out bold and clear. Second, most books about the Wrights give the impression that their story ends in 1909.